You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia discuss the primary care issues that are on their mind and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about febrile seizures. Joining me is Dr. Sarah Freidinger, an attending physician in the Division of Neurology, also at CHOP, so thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So we're talking about febrile seizures. Let's start off with the epidemiology. So who has febrile seizures? Uh, Well, so all all children can get febrile seizures. Febrile seizures are essentially seizures that happen in children between the ages of six months and five years um, in a child who has a fever, a temperature over 38 degrees. It's not due to any other cause, such as a CNS infection like meningitis. Really, anybody can get febrile seizures. It's most common between the ages of 18 and 24 months. Um, And children who've had febrile seizures can have seizures that are considered febrile seizures up to the age of six. However, if a child has their first febrile seizure between the ages of five and six, um, that's atypical. So I think we all have probably seen a febrile seizure before, but can you tell us a little bit about what it looks like? Is it focal, is it generalized, and kind of how long does it typically last for? So febrile seizures can look like any other seizure type. Um, The most common type of febrile seizure or seizure that you may see is a um, full body convulsive seizure, um, meaning stiffening and shaking of the entire body, or what we call a generalized seizure. Um, However, seizures can also be what we call focal, where one side of the body is involved um, without the involvement of the other side, or it might start on one side and spread to the other. Um, So general clues that families can look for would be stiffening, shaking, unresponsiveness, and then the things to note would be whether or not it starts on one side and spreads to both, or if there's anything like eye deviation or head deviation. And are kids typically post-ictal after a febrile seizure? They are often uh, post-ictal after a febrile seizure. That um, can happen after any type of seizure. And a post-ictal state is essentially the period of sleepiness or confusion that follows a seizure. Uh, the duration of a postictal state is something that is variable. It can be longer with longer seizures. It can be longer if someone's received a seizure rescue medication that makes them additionally sleepy. Uh, but the things that I recommend um, to note are that um, a person is continuing to improve in terms of their postictal state. So it's atypical to remain um, unresponsive or excessively sleepy and not have progressive improvement of that state over time. I feel like that's sometimes hard in practice because some of these febrile seizures happen in the evening and kids are already tired. So is there a way to distinguish that between just being tired or being postictal? I think it's um, it's a hard thing to sort out, especially if a febrile seizure happened overnight when a child was already asleep. Right. Um, but if you know your child, you know what they are like when they are sleepy because it's the evening and because they're sleepy already. And so the thing that I would recommend parents look for is returning to their normal baseline for whatever time of day it is. Great. So what features of the febrile seizures that we were just talking about should raise concern for us and for parents? Uh, So the first 
features that I look for um, about a febrile seizure are those that differentiate the simple from the complex febrile seizures. So those would be um, characteristics including time, the semiology, and the number of seizures that happen in one day. Okay. Uh, so seizures that are less than 15 minutes involving both sides of the body or what we call generalized and only happen once in 24 hours are considered simple febrile seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the most common type and the most reassuring type. Right. Uh, the features that differentiate um, complex febrile seizures are um, duration longer than 15 minutes involving um, some focal features, so one side of the body um, rather than both sides of the body symmetrically, and um, occurrence of more than one in one day. Um, and so while those um, complex febrile seizures are not necessarily concerning in terms of the immediate action, they have different um, implications in terms of the next steps, in terms of what testing is needed, and um, the prognosis later on. Um, in terms of factors that are more concerning for the immediate action that needs to be taken, so seizures that are, are long and not resolving on their own would be uh, seizures that would need to be acted on immediately, as well as um, other problems like a child not returning to their baseline in a reasonable amount of time after a seizure. Those would be um, considerations in terms of immediate action. So how long is too long? Well, we expect most seizures to resolve on their own in a few minutes, um, usually one to sometimes up to five minutes. However, when seizures last five minutes or longer, they're less likely to resolve on their own. Um, And so that would be the point at which I would recommend that a family take action if they haven't already. Um, So for children who've had seizures in the past, they may have a seizure rescue medication and five minutes would be the point at which to administer it. If it's a child who's having a seizure for the first time, the parents probably will have already called 911, um, but that would be the point to call 911 if you haven't done so already. Mm -hmm. Great, that's a good good tip for, for parents. So how is a febrile seizure in a child with a known history of seizures different? Well, in that case, it wouldn't be considered a febrile seizure. It would probably be considered a breakthrough seizure in a child who has epilepsy due to a factor that lowers their seizure threshold, which would be the fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that makes sense. It's the, the illness or the fever triggering a seizure versus a separate type of seizure happening in that patient because it's more of their, their underlying seizure disorder that's coming through. That's correct, yes. So febrile seizures are really just seizures that happen in children who don't have epilepsy or other reasons to have seizures. And so that's an important distinguishing point that we make in neurology, that there are um, febrile seizures, but then there's also seizures in the setting of fever, which are seizures that we look for another cause or another reason in addition to just having had a febrile seizure. How often are febrile seizures a hallmark of an underlying seizure disorder? Or I'm sure you get this question all the time from from parents who have a child with febrile seizures, but how likely are they to have epilepsy? That's a really good question. So most febrile seizures are not a sign that a child will go on to develop epilepsy. Um, The general rate of epilepsy in the entire population is about one to two percent. And for children who've had a febrile seizure, that increases slightly, about two to four percent is a number that we often use. And so I think that's a reassuring um, piece of information to share with parents because most children who have a febrile seizure won't go on to develop epilepsy. Of children who subsequently are diagnosed with epilepsy, 
Um, the rates of having had a febrile seizure are higher, about one in five children. Um, but on the whole, most people with febrile seizures do not develop epilepsy. That's a good point, I guess, because again, the illness or the fever might be provoking a seizure in someone who's prone to seizures, but right. it's not the other way around that the fever causing the seizure is causing epilepsy. Exactly. So if parents call our office triage line to report that their child had a recent febrile seizure, where should we send them and sort of when? I think that's sometimes tricky for us in primary care. If the seizure is already resolved and, they, and, it, and it meets that kind of simple febrile seizure criteria, do we still need to see them in the office? Should they go to the emergency room? And sort of what advice should we give them over the phone? Well, I think that is something that is often a judgment call and probably in large part dependent on the parent and the provider's level of comfort with the situation. Um, in general, I would say that if a child is still seizing, has not returned to their baseline, or there's any other concerning feature, I would send them immediately to the emergency room. Right. Um, for children who have had a simple febrile seizure, especially if they've had them in the past, and they have returned to their baseline, I think it may be reasonable if the parent is comfortable to give them anticipatory guidance and have them um, follow up in the office. Um, but then there is a gray zone of situations in between. Um, the guidance that I like to give um, families, regardless of um, the situation, would always be seizure safety precautions because those are the most important things that we can do to, to help families feel equipped at home in terms of um, dealing with any subsequent seizures. Uh, so things like making sure that their child's in a safe place if a seizure's happening, positioned on their side, and not putting anything into their mouth. Um, so those would be instructions that you could give over the phone as far as safety goes. And if they have a complex febrile seizure, those are kids that you would want evaluated because they're a little bit more complicated, perhaps, in their etiology? So depending on the reason why it's complex. So if the seizure is complex due to multiple seizures in one day, the concern would be how do we know when the seizures have stopped for that day? And it might be reasonable to have them evaluated in, either in the office or in the emergency room. If the seizure is complex due to um, having focal features, then if the seizure is resolved and the patient is back to their baseline, it might be reasonable to have them follow up outpatient, but they may need to see a neurologist as well to do further workup like an EEG or an MRI. And then seizures that are complex due to the duration, I think it would be more of a judgment call in terms of whether or not the seizure is fully resolved and if the child's back to their baseline, um, the disposition might be to the office or to the emergency room in that case. And you mentioned how we can give guidance to families about things that they can do at home to keep their child safe. Should we give these families diazepam to use at home? That's a good question. So um, I think that practices vary between providers, but I would say that a general rule of thumb would be for any child who's had a convulsive seizure, particularly one that's lasted longer than five minutes, should absolutely have a seizure rescue medicine at home. Children who've had multiple seizures in one day might need one as well because there would be a concern about a cluster in the future that may need to be stopped with an at-home seizure rescue medication. I think that there's some difference in providers about whether or not to give um, rectal diazepam or diastat to families for seizures that are isolated in less than five minutes. My general practice, though, is to provide a seizure rescue medicine to any child who's had a convulsive seizure um, just so the family has that and is equipped in the future if another seizure occurred and lasted longer than five minutes. So there's some variability here. It sounds like there are many right answers, but probably what feels right and comfortable to the provider and the family. I would agree with that. 
So what evidence is there for or against using antipyretics to prevent febrile seizures? So that is something that has been studied in the past. In general, the short answer is that there is no evidence to support using antipyretics to prevent future febrile seizures. A lot of parents might wonder if my child had a febrile seizure um, with future fevers, can I prevent it? Um, And the answer to that is no. There was one study that was done in Japan, which um, is a country that has a higher rate of febrile seizures and so may be a different cohort of patients that showed that using around-the-clock Tylenol for children who've had a febrile seizure during that same febrile illness may help to lower the rates of subsequent febrile seizures during that particular illness. But there have been multiple studies that have shown that for subsequent febrile illnesses, using prophylactic antipyretics does not lower the chances of having additional febrile seizures. So my general recommendation is that using an antipyretic can be helpful in terms of the comfort of the patient, but would not necessarily be something that would reduce subsequent febrile seizures. Great, that's good to know, because I think a lot of times when a child had a febrile seizure, the next time they have a febrile illness, the parents are very concerned, which I would be too, that my child would have another febrile seizure and and giving um, antipyretics might make them think that they're preventing the seizure, but we should reassure them to use them as they normally would and not just for the seizure. I would agree with that. So we talked about how febrile seizures aren't necessarily significantly increasing the risk of epilepsy, but are there other long-term sequelae in kids who have a history of febrile seizures? So I'm thinking of things like learning disabilities or developmental delays. Is there any association of those things in kids who have had maybe one or multiple febrile seizures? Happily, the answer is no. There is no difference between children who've had febrile seizures and those who have not. Um, They've done several large prospective studies of children um, in both the US and the UK that have looked at those who've had febrile seizures compared to their peers who have not and have seen no differences in terms of IQ and school performance in the long run. Great, that's a good thing that we can uh, reassure parents about. So when should we refer children with a history of a febrile seizure to a neurologist? That's a great question. I would say that most children with simple febrile seizures do not need to see a neurologist uh, because I think pediatricians are very well equipped to handle those. Complex febrile seizures um, may be referred to a neurologist. I think that would probably be appropriate because most types of complex febrile seizures need additional workup and evaluation. I would say that any child who's had any afebrile seizures or any developmental concerns along with their febrile seizures should probably see a neurologist in that case. Those are some good guidelines for us. Also, we should know that there is a CHOP pathway for febrile seizures without known seizure disorder that's both an emergency and inpatient clinical pathway, but has some great um, resources and, and tips to just walk through even for primary care. So I'm just calling that out. Thank you for having that pathway available to us, and thank you for um, serving our patients here at CHOP. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash podcasts for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.